back with another post-game Buckeye Talk. We did it after Indiana. We're doing it now after the Oklahoma loss. 31-16, the Sooners beat the Buckeyes. This is your Cleveland.com coverage team. Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, and I'm Doug Maurice. We're gonna We do this on Wednesdays, and now we're doing it after the games to give you guys the instant analysis. We're going to get right to it. What was the biggest problem with this offense tonight, Bill Landis? And then we'll get to what to do about it. But what's the biggest problem right now? God, the biggest problem? Um... The receivers don't get open. They uh, do not get open. And I know, like, JT was inaccurate when they were open. I don't know how many times did they throw the ball today. I don't know how many plays they ran off the top of my head. JT, 19 of 35. I don't know. Maybe they were open on 10 of those. And the other 25, they weren't. They're, these guys just don't create any separation. And I know, again, Urban Meyer said it today. Teams are dropping on them. They're dropping eight guys in the coverage. They're out playing man-to-man. I get that. You still got to get open. You have to design plays to get them open, and then you as a receiver have to do what you need to do to get open, and these guys are not getting open for JT to throw the ball, and the protection does not hold up long enough for them to break open. Receivers, offensive line, quarterback, or play calling? What's your number one thing, Tim Bielek? Uh I think, honestly, it's Ohio State still offensively is in an identity crisis. And what's weird about it is we Which talk – play calling. Exactly. Like okay. Yeah, and I mean we talked about it that with – for example, this wasn't the key difference in the game, but something notable. Mike Weber coming back, you know, he had, Urban Meyer had talked about it, and, you know, we had thought that uh, Dobbins and Weber could be a great duo. They combined for 16 carries. JT Barrett had 38. I mean, 18, I'm sorry. 38 be a lot. Yeah, but, I mean, when you, your quarterback is outgaining your two top running backs – that's a problem. And Dobbins had a great third quarter. You know, he got a touchdown. He ripped off some nice runs. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if it, what it was, if it was just Oklahoma just going on that quick 21-0 run, but they got away from it. And Barrett just – he still looks like that guy who we saw at the end of last season where he just really seems like he doesn't have much confidence. 490 to 350. 490 to 350. That's how much Oklahoma outgained Ohio State. Is is this like Kevin Wilson growing pains? Like that's the thing is it, it's difficult because it looks the same. Ed Warner and Tim Beck are gone. Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day are here, but we're talking about the same stuff. So like, is there just some feeling of well, they're still new. They'll figure it out. It'll get better. But you know, you only play 12 regular season games. We're one sixth of the way through it. Is that possibly an excuse? I'm going to write about this um, for Sunday morning because I asked Kevin Wilson about it, and I asked him, what is your comfort level with your personnel? Because I think there is an understanding of there being a feeling out process, and I would probably be willing to concede that you're still doing that in the game too. Um, He did not say that. He said, I feel very comfortable with our personnel. I feel like I know it well. Um, He put it on himself to call better plays. He talked about like running in the loaded boxes. I said, who's that on? Whose job is to make the adjustment? He said, it's my job. so I don't know. I, I I think maybe it is that, and he just won't admit it because maybe then that puts some kind of onus on the players. Um, I just don't think Kevin Wilson called a very good game. Is he a genius or not? <clears throat> I mean, I think yes. I think he's proven in his past that he is a very good offensive coach, um, both uh, schematically and play calling. Just hasn't shown – maybe a little bit in the second half against Indiana. He did not show it today. It was a very, very vanilla game plan against a good team. So you were at Wilson. I was not at Wilson. I was at JT Barrett the whole time. This is the craziest thing that JT Barrett said that I found very difficult to accept. Not that it's not true, but it just makes me shake my head. I asked JT Barrett about 
him saying in the preseason, I'm going to throw to covered re- receivers. I'm going to throw guys open. I'm, I'm not going to be afraid to let it rip. I'm not going to overthink it. I said, JT, you said that in the preseason. We talked about this all the time last season, and here we are. And, and he had said stuff that tonight he, did, he didn't do that. He didn't throw in windows. He didn't throw to, to – he didn't make guys open with his throws. He didn't let it rip. And I said, why not? How are we still here when you said in the preseason you were going to change it? And he said, in the preseason, I'm throwing against man-to-man coverage in practice because that's what Ohio State plays. Now, teams two straight weeks – and I have a tangent in a second. Teams two straight weeks have dropped eight in a zone and forced him to make those throws. They didn't practice that at all? They never thought the whole preseason that somebody might play a zone on JT Barrett, and that's the reason that, oh, well, I guess if they played the same defense we play, I'm used to that, but these zones are messing me up. I am dumbfounded by that. That, that, that he, The way he made it sound was like, well, that's against man, and this is zone, so what are you going to do? I don't know. You've got to do something because for yeah. two straight weeks it hasn't worked. And let me go on my tangent real quick. If you took Tom Allen's comments after the Indiana game when the Indiana head coach in his postgame remarks said they dropped eight and didn't rush very much because that's what you do against an inaccurate quarterback. And if you took that comment and decided to get angry at Tom Allen or get your feathers ruffled about should a coach be saying that about a player, that's not classy. Instead of taking that as information – about how opponents are covering the team that you care about? I don't know what to tell you. You're missing the boat, brother. That was a huge window into what opponents think of JT Barrett. Maybe maybe he said it a little bit mean, okay? When, when Mike Weber basically lost his starting job to J.K. Dobbins, Urban Meyer said, that's life in the big city. Everybody's in the big city. Columbus is like the 15th largest metropolitan area in America. 14th. We're all in the big city. Yeah. Okay, so let's deal with reality. Let's not get our backs up and talk about who's saying mean things. Let's talk about the real deal with this team. And the real deal with this team is if you spent the week disputing the fact, oh, JT Bear's accurate, he's, you're lost. You don't even understand your own team. So yeah. you had a window into this. Tom Allen told you exactly what Oklahoma was going to do, and they did it, brother. Out. You think maybe they didn't practice it because they know JT can't throw against it? I don't even understand it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, and that's preseason now. Of course, they practice against it this week in the game week. They see what Oklahoma does, of course. right? Of course. But the whole preseason, all we heard in preseason is they're throwing it great. Receivers look great. JT looks great. Now, we never saw it because we can't watch practice. That's all we heard. Did we hear anything else, guys? Nope. No. Okay. So, what is it? Were they lying? And they actually weren't doing it well, but they were just saying they were? Or were they doing it well then, and now they can't? Two things. They, were, they weren't they were lying. They were throwing against man coverage and also against a defense that has allowed 800 passing yards in the last two weeks. And, and I got two things, too, about that. Number one, expanding on your comment, JC, JT Barrett has played 30-some games, and he hasn't seen an eight-man zone defense in 30-plus games. You would think by now... 
although we, I mean, we know JT Barrett has obvious physical limitations. You can't doubt that anymore in my mind. And you, I mean, he has, the, I'm sure he's seen zone so many times that he has to know what's going on. And number two, talking about Tom Allen's comment, I think you could have appended a phrase to the word inaccurate, say inaccurate past 10 yards to throw. I mean, but that, I'm well, not putting a devil's advocate on JT Barrett necessarily, but to expand on that, I did the passing chart at, after week one. I'll do it again after tonight. Um, inside of 10 yards, he's accurate like you're supposed to be. Outside I disagree of 10, with that. You know who's yeah. accurate within 10 yards? Me. <clears throat> Throwing to my kid in the backyard. Well, he, had two, well, he had two throws tonight, and I forget who the first one was. Uh, Paris Campbell, I believe. Coming across the middle at the sticks, and he threw it behind Paris Campbell and limited his ability to run after the catch. Paris caught it, but that was it. Well, and then Marcus Ball was open, and JT didn't throw the ball toward the sideline where he should have thrown it, and the pass went incomplete instead of being a catch for a first down. And what I'll say, I mean, that's obviously true, but I mean, in general, I mean, we he completed one pass in two games that flew, went beyond 20 yards. The, the previous longest? 18 yards to J.K. Dobbins, and that was his second completion of the season. It took six quarters to throw 20-plus yards. I think when he, say, when he says inaccurate, he means we have we know for a fact he can't throw an accurate pass past the sticks more than once every four or five times, and we'll just sit on everything underneath. And if Paris Campbell goes for a 70-yard touchdown on a mesh route, so be it. Well, but most – and again, most – Oklahoma, I don't think, has a great defense. They have guys who can chase Paris Campbell down yeah. better than Indiana did. So here's the thing, and I would like to backtrack for a second, because I know that I can at times sound like a very angry person. This, the tone of this is a little angry. Okay. I was just thinking that. Okay, thinking so that. here's what my point is. Because, number one, these guys are unpaid. And if you want to get in a scholarship debate with me on Twitter, I have something coming that I want to work on because you're wrong. <laughs> here's the deal. I'm not, like, mad at JT Barrett. I'm not... I mean, JT Barrett is a great college football player. Ohio State is a great college football program. I'm not mad. I don't care, right? I'm trying to analyze the game. It doesn't matter to me whether they win or lose. I'm not mad. Here's what I get mad at. I get mad at people who have the inability to honestly evaluate this team. And anybody who thinks that any, like, criticism, that anything said about Ohio State is criticism and Ohio State needs to be defended rather than just doing what we're trying to do here which is have an honest evaluation of players and teams and see who's going to win and talk about football. That's what we do here. But I was very frustrated this week that that was the tone of some of the stuff. So that's what I get angry at. I never, I don't get angry at fans. I don't get angry at players. And I don't get angry at coaches. I get angry at the tone of the discussion when I feel like it's wrong. And I thought it was wrong. The entire discussion leading up to this game was wrong from the minute we walked off that field at Indiana. People would not take a realistic view. I don't care what his completion percentage is. Can this, is also bad. can this offense get it done? And if you didn't think this was coming, I don't know what you were looking at. Now, I picked Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. I was right about this game. I'm wrong about a million games. But it's not just being right on the score or being right about even who wins. It's about where a team is and what they're capable of doing. And at the moment, if you don't see that we're having the same discussion and very little has changed, you're blind. Because that's the real deal. So we here, and you guys know this by now, we have real discussions about this team. We're not angry at them. I apologize if I sound angry. It doesn't matter, right? We are here for you guys. And what we owe you is an honest evaluation. So you deserve an honest evaluation of this JT Barrett situation. 
And we want to get into that. We know that's what you guys want to talk about. So we're going to talk about it. There are some people who think, stick with him, stick with him, stick with him. And there are some people who just are very cavalier about bench him, bench him, bench him. He's a bum. And I think both of you are wrong. This is, this is a very gray area. Tim, would you start with just the idea of, do you think this is complicated? Whatever the final decision is, we are talking about one of the legendary players in Ohio State football history who, frankly, is not doing a great job playing quarterback for Ohio State right now. How would you describe this situation for Ohio State? You use the word perfectly. It's complicated. And we had a discussion about this. You guys just mentioned the fact that even though off a lot of things have changed, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I mean, granted, you change the offensive coordinator, but it looks the same. It's like going through Groundhog Day in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes this hard is because – In a way, Urban Meyer, his era at Ohio State is tied to JT Barrett. Barrett has played every year for four consecutive seasons. Barrett led them all the way to getting to the Big Ten championship game in 2014 before he had that ankle injury. He came back at the end of 2015. Lobbies with lost to Michigan State, but helped get them to the Fiesta Bowl. The next season gets them into the playoffs. There's an attachment there to JT Barrett, and the records are the records. I mean, we talked at the beginning of the season about how the numbers lie, but there's no denying that in the last five games, for whatever reason, JT just has not looked anywhere near that guy we saw in 2014. Now, I mean, to make the move, um, it's hard. Urban Meyer said after the game he was not considering it. I think as a coach, though, you have to say that right after the game. But you'd also you also have to at least consider it. Bill, um, you've covered JT for several years now. Okay. Does it matter? And I tweeted this after the game, and it's like I'm trying to cover all. We're trying to cover all the bases on this because it is complicated. Performance not great, okay? But performance is not. Now it's the main thing, and again, it's life in the big city stuff, right? If you if you don't want to deal with that, then don't come here. So and, and the other deal is we write lots of great things about these guys when they win, and they usually win. So when they don't win, then we're going to be critical at times, and that's fair, okay, because it goes both ways. How do you think the fact that JT Barrett is respected, is loved by his teammates, is a very good teammate? You sat with him, as you said, before mm-hmm. the season in a one-on-one interview and wrote a, a really good story at the start of the season. Kind of, you know, and all this was hovering over that story and everything else we talked about with JT because I think we all knew this was possible. How should that matter? The fact that he is who he is, both in the record books, but more importantly, in the locker room, in the film room, at practice, he is that guy. How should that affect Urban Meyer's decision? Um. It's a delicate thing because you don't want to ruin the, the dynamics of the locker room. A lot of me feels like it it shouldn't. I get it. I, I mean, they, they – and I was down on the field before the game. Today, because of some of the switches we made at Cleveland.com, and now I'm the guy who has to play paparazzi for the recruits at the game, I spent more time down on the field before this game than I have for any other Ohio State game. And I got like a pretty good vibe of just how the team gravitates toward JT and pregame warm-ups and – you know, they were, he was loose, and they were loose, and they were feeding off of him, and, and he was, like, very in tune with his teammates, and I was, frankly, a little bit surprised by that. Um, there is a deep, I think, appreciation for everything that JT has done among his teammates. I don't know if, in the end, that should matter. 
So I think Tim wants to talk about the thing that I'm going to talk about. Is it Todd Beckman and Terrell Pryor? Is what we're going to bring up? We talked about that a little bit before. Let me talk about that, and then we'll get back to your, your finger. Tim raised his finger. <laughs> if you don't raise your finger in the podcast, I just go for 10 minutes and debate it. Um, in 2008, Todd Beckman was the starting quarterback coming off a season where he had led Ohio State to the national championship game. Terrell Pryor was the number one or number two recruit in the country. Uh, he came in here, Jim Tressel, uh, had a two-quarterback system at play. Um, Beckman was the guy. They had a couple packages for Pryor. He played some. They went to USC. They got destroyed. At USC, they lost 35-3. to Todd Beckman threw a couple bad interceptions, and that was the end of Todd Beckman. Uh, I remember walking with Jim Tressel at some point, either I think it was after he had made the decision, and I was trying to ask him, is there something that we don't know, that we don't see? Because it looks like Beckman made some t not great plays. Is there anything that we need to know as we try to evaluate this? And he was like, no, he can't do that. Jim Tressel had sort of reached a point where his, he thought his quarterback, he can't live with his quarterback doing what his quarterback did. And they went to Terrell Pryor. Todd Beckman, back then, in the interview rooms, after the interview room after the game, they used to, they had four captains, I think, that year. They brought the four captains in with Jim Tressel to start every post-game news conference. Tressel would sit up front and the four captains would sit with him. Todd Beckman, as the benched starting quarterback, who did not play the rest of the year until the bowl game, basically, came into that room after every game and sat there as we talked about Terrell Pryor. It was unbelievable what he had to go through. But guess what? It was life in the big city. It wasn't necessarily fair to him, but it was what needed to happen for that team. It also divided that team, young and old. Um, there were some great seniors on that team. There were some great freshmen on that team. They were like two teams for the rest of that year because uh, some of the older guys weren't huge fans of Terrell Pryor, I don't think, and some of the younger guys thought that the old guys were like being old fuddy that he's about it. It is a very difficult thing, okay? So that's what we're telling you. Performance absolutely matters most, but there are other things at play here. So one part of it certainly is JT is the experienced guy, and I think everybody loves JT. Do we dispute that everybody loves JT? No, not at all. There are going to be, and I'm not basing this on information this time, there are going to be young players in that locker room because you bond with your recruiting class. Dwayne Haskins is a redshirt freshman. There are going to be young guys in that room who think Dwayne Haskins should play because yeah. he's their guy. He knows that. There might be some old guys in that room who think Dwayne Haskins okay. should play. So this is not a, if you make a change, you're going to upset the whole locker room. There are going to be some guys. That locker room, divided might not be the wrong word. Might, might, it might be the wrong word, but there are different opinions on the quarterback situation in that locker room right now already, whether Urban Meyer does anything or not. You know what? Um, if it happens, the thing that I think that could lead to any kind of division in the locker room is how JT handles it. And JT is not going to stew. He's not going to nope. huff and puff and stomp his feet around the building. He's going to be he's going to be the same exact guy he was when he woke up this morning as and, and like, wakes up Monday and he's not Ohio State starting quarterback anymore. There's not going to be any change with him. So if that's the same, I think it's smooth sailing in terms of division in the locker room. And that would make it that that is a very good point and a point worth making. Um, and I do think it's important again. Urban Meyer benched a national championship winning quarterback who never lost a game as a starting quarterback. Okay, now we know all the other factors there, right? Cardell Jones was 11 0. Cardell Jones finished his career 11 0. JT Barrett took his job. So JT Barrett has, Jarrett Barrett has been on the receiving end of this. 
if he is on the taking end, he's going to have to deal with it. Um, so we did a video, you guys can go watch it at cleveland.com, about what we would do if we were the coach, okay? Now, because we want to drive people to the video, it's cross-promotion. <laughs> Let's do what we think Urban Meyer is going to do. We're not doing what we think now. We're doing, we're in Urban Meyer's head. How is Urban Meyer going to handle it this week? What do you think he will do, Tim Bielek? Yeah, that one is a really tough question because, I mean, obviously you could see my opinions in the video, um, but... Ruthless. Ruthless, Tim Bielek. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, Tim would make a change. Yeah, we can yeah. tell them. Okay, yeah. I, I admit, I personally would make the change because I, I personally think you have to take the emotional attachment out of it. If, you, if Ohio State, like the top <coughs> programs, like the Alabamas of the world, consider themselves basically the factory thing in the NFL, you almost have that, same mind, have to have that same mindset. What have you done for me lately? And you look at JT Barrett's last five games, only once has he gotten more than 300 yards. And in that game when I did the film study, almost two-thirds of those yards came on yards after catch on three plays. Yeah, three plays alone, or well, more half, but it's, you get the idea. As far as Ur- what Urban, I think Urban Meyer will do, he said he wasn't thinking about it after the game. Again, I mentioned this as a coach, you have to say that because the last thing you want to do after a game is have your players answer your coach's sudden lack of faith in your quarterback minutes after you just got defeated on your home field in a game that probably wasn't nearly as close as thirty-one to sixteen. You have to say that, but. You also have to consider it. The last thing Urban Meyer should be doing is is just going to bed and waking up Monday morning, like after watching the film, I was like, yeah, I'm still going to start JT. That's the last thing he should do. Not even consider Joe Burrow. Not not even consider Dwayne Haskins. So you think he will consider? Yeah. What, what do you think he's going? I think to do? he has to at the very but minimum. What will he will? He will consider. He it. will consider. Bill, he, will he consider it? No, he won't. Um, Urban Meyer in his post-game press, press, press conference talked about getting the offense on a roll, getting JT on a roll. We've seen what that looks like in 2014. Remember when they lost to Virginia By the Tech? way, that was three years ago. I know. <laughs> we keep referencing 2014, saying, and we keep getting farther away from it. But remember, they, they lost here to Virginia Tech, and then they came out the next week and put 50 on Cincinnati, right? Is that what happened? Or maybe mm-hmm. it was Kent State. I forget, I forget who it was. But they put up like 60 and 50 on Kent State and Cincinnati. They play Army next week. Army and they play UNLV. Army is a chance for JT Barrett to get on a roll. I'm not going to take anything away from that. I, they could score 70 points on Army, and I don't, I don't care. Um, but my what I think of it and how JT feels coming out of it are two different things. I think he gives JT Barrett one more chance to get on a roll against Army, and if he doesn't, then you have UNLV and you have Rutgers and you have Maryland, and maybe not so much Maryland until you have to go at Nebraska on October 14th. I want to make, you have some games to play with. I'm sorry. I just want to make a bit of a counter-argument to what you were saying. Brilliant. I mean, it just slipped my mind just yeah, a second ago. But uh, here's my thought process. I mentioned the definition of insanity. You change your offensive coordinator. You change your head coach. You change pretty much everything, almost everything you could change, but it still looks the same. What's the common denominator? What's left to change? It's the guy throwing the football. And if, if we're going to see for the rest of the season JT Barrett facing eight-man zones where guys are going to be blanketed, like there's going to be clouds of guys from the ten from 10 yards back. I'm talking 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage. 
daring JT, just giving giving him. We'll give you all the under underneath stuff you want. We're going to take everything else away because we know you can't throw it. When you consider all that, I mean, all right, all right. Let me, yeah, let me ask, the let, question let, was, what's he going to do? Not what we would do. Let, let me ask you this: Can JT Barrett get better? No. We've been waiting, right? I don't. We wrote how many stories have we written about it? A million, apparently too many. <laughs> can, I mean, can he? We're thirty plus games into JT Barrett. I think he is who he is. We know he's got physical limitations. He's not going to suddenly get Cardale Jones's arm. It's not going to be a sudden arm but, transplant. But again, so is it was for, was twenty fourteen just being young and having Devin Smith? Is that it? Yeah. And, and now he's old and Zeke, doesn't have Devin Smith. Zeke Elliott and a couple NFL. Austin Mack made a Devin Smith catch tonight, by the way. Catch. He turned around. Got he didn't just too. run with his arms outstretched and hope the ball accidentally landed in his hands. He turned around, had great body control, went up and made a play and landed hard yeah. and hauled it in. I would throw more of those to Austin Mack. Good throw, good catch. Let me ask you this. What else can get better? What else needs to get better and how can they get better at it other than just improving? Can they legitimately make a move at right tackle. Can you bump Brandon Bowen to right tackle and play somebody else at guard if Isaiah Prince had a bad game today, a bad enough game to make you think we can do better on the offensive line? Or is that crazy talk? I think you certainly could do that. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to say they should do that because until uh, you watch the film, like until, the until, until I watch the film, yeah. But I mean, clearly Brandon or not Brandon Bowen, Isaiah Prince had some problems blocking today, and, and there was certainly more pressure on JT this week than there was last week. So um, you can make personnel changes on the front. Um, you can have more of a dedication to running the ball. I don't know why they didn't stick with J.K. Dobbins, who was averaging five yards a carry. Mike Weber got, got dinged up again. Um, he said he tweaked his hamstring on his third run, and that's why he didn't get more carries. But I think if they would have just ran the ball with J.K. and J.T., they would have won this game. Who would you play at receiver? I would play Austin Mack. I would play Mack. Um, and I don't know. I yeah, mean, that was the only catch he had, but that was the best catch anybody made, has made at Ohio State. You said since the Noah since Brown, Noah Brown catch, last, catch year. last year, which was like 50% luck. Um yeah, I guess I would play Mac. I don't. I don't feel confident about any of them. Johnny Dixon, one catch, twelve yards. Ben Victor, two catches, seventeen yards. Paris Campbell, three catches, twenty-seven yards. Terry McLaurin, three catches, thirty yards. KJ Hill, five catches, forty-four yards. KJ Hill played a lot. Yeah, yeah. KJ Hill looks like the number one H back to me. He's a better pass catcher. Than he's Paris on the Campbell. field all the time. Yeah, he's more. He's more suited to that. That's not what they Campbell. said. Again, that's not what they said was going to happen. Receiver and Paris Campbell's not. But they said Paris Campbell was the guy. They were so excited in the spring. He's the new guy. Paris Campbell can he be said the it, guy. Urban Meyer said it in July. Hand him the ball and give him the ball on jet sweeps, and maybe he can be the guy. So, okay, so that's play play caller now. They handed it to the tailback. I'm going to go inside the numbers. They handed it to the tailback six times in the first half. Yeah. Um, that was out of a total of – here, you guys sing a song while I'm getting the stats. Sing. Oh, I'm going to sing that song. You guys heard that Taylor Swift song? Yeah. It's a Halloween song. Taylor Swift, uh, I'm not enthused about her new album. Really? Yeah. Why do you got to be like that? Wasn't it, wasn't it Taylor Swift who had the songs leading up to the Alabama-Florida State game? Yeah. Because, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, the promos they had, was that 30 Seconds of Mars with Jared Leto? The Joker? I don't know. It, it sounded like him. <laughs> Honestly, Bielik is down in a, down a Jared Leto hole now. Hey, I'm, I cannot I'm a 30, find the halftime I'm a 30, Sorry, I'm a... It's not annoying when they say we're going to order. Before we get back on, I'm at 30 seconds of Mars, guys. So that's for another podcast for another day. My friend wrote for my so-called life. Oh, yeah? And Jared Leto was on that show, and that's what made him famous. I can't. I seriously just had them. Listen, they gave it to the tailback six times in the first half. I thought they could have run it more with the tailbacks. 
they ran it more with JT, right? They yep. ran it more yes. with JT uh, in the first half, but it still didn't feel like enough overall. Um, with those guys, would you just bail? Like, do you just bail? Bail on the pass game and pound the run? Match Army's triple option with a I mean, triple honestly, option. Actually. Like, like you, I mean, honestly, like, you can, you can, they you do that so well. winning games every year doing that, so. But would you, but like, does that make sense to do? Or is that just. No, because then you're a, just setting yourself up for failure when you ultimately get to the postseason. Because you can get to the Big Ten Championship, I think, playing that way. They nearly did it last year. Um, but you're not winning a playoff game and you're not winning a national championship doing that. So there's, in the end, there's no point to it. All right, let's talk defense real quick. Um, certainly, the Oklahoma offensive line acquitted itself. Pretty good. It's pretty decently good. well, right? Sacks. Two. Yeah, I mean, Baker Mayfield made some magic happen, which is what he does. But, he was, uh, he was I, outstanding, I thought. He was great. Yeah, he was great. Heisman, like Doug said, don't come out of the game as a Heisman candidate. He absolutely did that. Sam Hubbard had a sack. Nick Bosa had a sack. Nick Bosa had like a Joey Bosa play. He pushed. Pulling guard. He pushed the guy backward. He pushed the offensive lineman backward into Baker Mayfield, which made Baker Mayfield trip. Mm-hmm. And then Nick Bosa threw the offensive lineman to the side and then finished off the tripping Baker Mayfield. That was with a huge sack. moment. And I thought, I honestly thought when that happened, because it was, what was the score when it was? It was a 10-3 when it happened? It was, it was either 10-3 or 10-10. I think it, whatever happened, Ohio State got the ball back and didn't do anything on offense. And I thought that could have been a serious momentum shifting play. And it ended up not being you know, that. You know, I think that might have Yeah, been, there was never a momentum shift. Yeah, but that was the it moment. It was uh, Ohio State was up 13-10. That's kind of what I was thinking. Got the ball back and then punted, right? Yeah, yeah they got it back and they got back and went and went three and out. And, and then, then J.K. Dobbins scored. rushed for no gain. So here I'm, I'm saying they need to give it to the tailback more. They're up 13-10. They get a huge defensive play, which results in a third and 22. Right? They punt on fourth and six. Ohio State starts um, at their 40 yard line, which is a great field position, right? Dobbins none. Dobbins none. Barrett three or Barrett for five. So they tried three run plays and it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. Play calling was not good. Play calling was weird. There was no balance. To there it. was no rhythm. There was no balance. There was no feel. Did Kevin Wilson admit? Did Kevin Wilson say like I didn't call a very good game? He did. Yeah. He he. he I mean he. And that's what coaches do. He put it all on himself and said they never got in the rhythm. Um, and again, like I said, like they were some of those two yard carries for J.K. Dobbins last weekend, this week, or J.K. Dobbins running into nine defenders, and um, the proper adjustments not happening. And Kevin Wilson put that on himself. Tim Bielek, is the secondary a problem for Ohio State? I think you, you have to say yes. I mean, eight hundred passing yards in two games. I mean, how I don't know how it couldn't be. I mean, we know Denzel Ward is good. We still have questions about Damon Arnett and Kendall Sheffield. We do. Sheffield, you can only make the mistake, like the excuse of he's been in Division One for two games. Yep. Damon Arnett played a lot last year. He has to step up and meet the bill. Otherwise, you have two five-star freshman corners waiting in the wings, waiting to take his job. In Okuda, Jeffrey Okuda, and Sean Wade. I'm not saying either guy's going to take it next week, but he is making it hard on himself with with not being able to make many plays in coverage, staying in front of guys to keep his job. And how many times... In the game in general, do we see guys bite on play action? There was one in particular where yeah. Dante Booker was – I know we're talking about secondary, but Dante Booker was looking up the field for a running play for about two seconds, and then Baker throws it. The, the the touchdown pass to the fullback for 36 yards, all three linebackers did. I thought the linebackers um, 
were were worse off tonight than the secondary. Secondary still was not great. One play in particular, Kendall Sheffield was probably in the wrong spot in his own, and Baker Mayfield just threw the ball over his head. Um, the linebackers bid on every single play action, and they hit him over the top wide open in the middle of the field. And there should be a safety there, I suppose, but we wondered, can Ohio State's linebackers cover the tight end in this Oklahoma offense? And by the way, Mark Andrews, the rest receiver, by did, the way, did not play the entire game, basically. Um, it was their backup tight end and fullbacks who killed him. The linebackers really struggled in pass coverage. So there are more issues. Listen, there are more issues than just quarterback. But here's the thing. Again, we have had the same conversation. And it's not about our conversation. It's about what the coaches see on film and Urban Meyer sees on film. Um, it's a, I, I, I said I, this is going to be an incredibly – I think it, you cannot overestimate how difficult this is. Now – because here's the thing. Even if Urban Meyer shuts it down and says, nope, not a second thought, JT's the guy, there are just enough things around the team, whether they like it or not, that there is now doubt. I think doubt has to have crept in about their starting quarterback. Billy Price, one of the captains, stood up and said, "Like, let me make it clear. I'll be the guy to stand right here and say I have 100% confidence in JT Barrett. We all have 100% confidence in JT Barrett. They also have eyes. Yeah. Yes. And what I think this week proved, I mean, they don't – I'm sure they don't think it this way, but I'm sure the outside world sees it. The door's open. We're, I mean, we're having this conversation. That was the one thing that JT Barrett I don't think could afford to do, especially the second week of the season, was make this conversation happen. Make Urban Meyer have to answer questions about it after week two – after what just happened at the end of last season, that's probably the last thing that JT Barrett wanted to have was this conversation to even happen. I don't whether it cost him his job. I don't know. We, we're going to find out in the days and weeks to come. But the but I don't think there's any question. At least on the outside, the door's open, and that weight is going to get on his shoulders more and more as if he continues to underperform. What do you think about the fact that? I mean, they could score 60 points and put up 600 yards of offense in the next two weeks and it could mean nothing. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the it's full gold. Weeks, the next three weeks. Like, it's we're full not, gold. We're not going to learn anything about this team for maybe a month because of who they play. Um, it's Yeah. Unless they make a change. And so, and again, we're just telling you guys, you've got to be, you can't fall for it. Um, here's, it's just interesting. I think we want to be careful about, listen, this is not a world, this is not a place where they just run guys in and out of the starting lineup. There's not going to be a rash of guys losing their jobs this week. And true freshmen are not the answer. Okay, if there was a J.K. Dobbins... Except for Taymor Tull. If there was a J.K. Dobbins... I mean, obviously, it's <laughs> if there If there were a J.K. Dobbins in the receiver room, Jalen Harris and Trayvon Grimes would have played tonight. There's, there's opportunities to be had. They're not playing those guys. They're not playing them because they're like mean they're just they don't th- they don't think that's the best chance to win if if they thought Sean Wade and Jeffrey Okuda were better than Je- than Kendall Sheffield and Damon Arnett they'd be playing so th- that's not the solution to start running in a bunch of guys just out of high school JK Dobbins is exceptional he was the exception to the rule that's not how they do it here a lot of it is these guys do just have to get better the reason is it is a quarterback conversation and jt barrett said it and it's obviously true you get too much credit when you win you get too much blame when you lose the difference is we've seen this before and that's why this is different it's not like you and the thing that's hard with jt is it's he's not on the way up you know it's like damon arnett well damon arnett had it was a little rough last year he can still get better Again, it's, it's hard. I I think you have to be done waiting for yeah. something to click with JT. I think we all gave him the benefit of the doubt that maybe that's what this was going to happen this offseason. 
And, and that's why last week you couldn't take last – well, you always get tweets from people. Oh, I think it was a vanilla offense. They didn't want to show anything last week. They were losing in the third quarter. They showed what they could show, brother. <laughs> they weren't holding up. Ooh, well, let's take the L against the Hoosiers so we can sneak up on, on Oklahoma. <laughs> no, they, that was the best they could do. Um, there was a moment – I can't remember what the play was, but there was a moment tonight where I th- they were on third down – I don't know what it was, but it was like a third and nine or something. And they threw like a three-yard pass to Paris Campbell. And it was like, ooh, yeah. let's see if we can do that thing where we throw a three-yard pass and he runs 70 yards. Guess what? Didn't work. Got tackled. It's a little easier if you throw it past the sticks. JT threw a lot short of the sticks, man. That's who was open. Okay. Um, it's an interesting week. It's an interesting week. We want you to stick with us here at Cleveland.com. We have videos. We have stories with, with analysis. And I swear, I mean, we just give it to you straight, man. There are no agendas here other than talking about this team in the most informative, interesting way possible. And I'm old. I have hair that looks like George W. Bush. And I'm just telling you, nothing I saw tonight surprised me. You know what I was surprised by? Drew Chrisman. Punt, punter extraordinaire played a great game. Being Johnston-esque. Johnston-esque. I think a stronger leg. I think a stronger leg. Four punts, 45.8-yard average, all, all inside four the inside the 20. No touchbacks. Yeah, but he's not He's not doing this spinnerooski on the four-yard line. Saw, no, but you saw he. So we had, he had the three. You are a punt. I would call you a word I'm not allowed to yeah. say. You were in love since you got on this beat. <laughs> you were in love with an Australian punter. I was. I'm not He's gone for half a year. And you're on, on to I've the guy on. from, where's he on. from, Cincinnati? From Cincinnati, yeah. yeah. You are it's down under. unbelievable. I hope Cam Johnson is listening to this. He, had, he, he bombed three of them. And then the fourth one was a nice end over end that he kind of kicked the and they had to, had the had the flip going and then it dropped inside. And if the punt coverage had been better, they would have downed it inside the five, but they didn't get down there. Quick and we are living in a world where I once made a case that the best player on Ohio State's team was the punter. I almost tweeted that tonight. And tonight, Bill Landis is making that same case yeah. about the new punter. He's good, man. He's good. All right. I don't know what to tell you, man. Um, I, I, I'm wrong a lot. I'm wrong a lot. I feel like sometimes I get a feel for a game. Yeah. And you know sometimes the feel... Um, doesn't result in the final score. I thought Baker Mayfield, if he was a dude, was going to come in here and ball out. He did exactly that. I thought the Oklahoma offensive line would be able to do enough to negate the Ohio State defensive line enough to make them not be able to control the game. That happened. I thought the Ohio State secondary would be enough of an issue that it would continue to be a problem. That happened. And I thought Ohio State wouldn't be able to throw it. And that happened. And you add those four things together, it wasn't close. Oklahoma should have been ahead by much more in the first half. They were sloppy, two fumbles, missed a field goal, missed opportunities, and they finally put it together in the second half. Ohio, we all, you guys know that. Ohio State was lucky to be in that game. This game could have been a 28-point win mm-hmm. instead of a 15-point win. Five trips in the first half into Ohio State territory. Missed field goal, turnover on downs, two fumble lost. More dynamic. More dynamic offensively, not close. Lincoln Riley called a great game. And also just better. They're just better. I think Oklahoma's going to the playoff. I'm still riding my Oklahoma State Cowboys, Mason Rudolph, Heisman Trophy winner. But I think Ohio State might get there too. Yeah, they can still win the Big Ten. Penn State's going to be the test. 
Rob Oller, the fine columnist from the Columbus Dispatch, tweeted tonight, like, the good thing is for Ohio State, they're not going to see a quarterback like Baker Mayfield again. I said, Trace McSorley's close. Yeah. And, and he didn't really buy that. Um, he doesn't do the same extend the play kind of stuff. He's more, he'll, he's more about just take off and run kind of guy. And then I'll throw it 50 yards over the top of you. Yes. Yes. He also doesn't, Baker Mayfield doesn't have Saquon Barkley in the backfield. Saquon Barkley's middle left toe is better than anybody Oklahoma has at running back. Yeah. So yeah. Penn State's going to be a real deal, but it's not like that, you know, they could win that. And also, I think this is a thing. We saw Baker Mayfield, and I think a lot of this is overblown sometimes, but I think you also have to acknowledge it when it might factor in. In my five reasons why Oklahoma would win, we do it each week. If you guys read that, we do one why Ohio State's going to win and one why the opponent's going to win. You guys should have figured that out by now. I said the revenge factor. So we talk about it with every time Ohio State loses, we say, ooh, revenge. Oklahoma wanted some revenge. They hadn't lost since uh, the Ohio State game last year. And when Baker Mayfield runs around and tries to plant a flag in your turf, I think revenge was on his mind. Yes. That was, that was a revenge flag plant. All right. That's our post-game Buckeye Talk podcast. Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, Doug Maurice. We have a bunch of stuff up on Saturday night. We're going to have much, much, much more on Sunday morning. And on Monday, what I'm going to try to do, and sometimes I can do it and sometimes I can't in the news conference, I'm going to try to have one of those four-question sequences with Urban Meyer trying to get in his head about the JT Barrett decision. And if he says it's not a decision, I'm going to say, why? I'm going to say, Urban, why? can you explain to us what goes into a decision like this? How do you balance what you owe a fifth-year senior versus what you owe the rest of this locker room to give them the best chance to win every game? We Tell us why you shouldn't consider it when we see the same issues for 10 straight games, Urban. It would seem to us that when you say that's life in the big city, it would apply to all positions. Why is that not applying here? Are your younger guys ready for this or not? How would JT handle it if you did do it? Do you have to keep your – are there some guys you just never would do it? Do you reach a point where you could never lose your job? But yet, Urban, you did bench a guy who finished his career 11-0 two years ago. Did you learn anything from that? Good or bad, it's affecting your decision now. Would you worry about splintering the locker room at all? That's like 17 questions. I know, but I want to have a conversation about this because I want to get inside his mind because I think the thing, if you can acknowledge it and get him to talk about it, that it is not cut and dried, it is not easy, it is not about completion percentages and quarterback rating and touchdowns and interceptions. It is about the holistic approach for a team. Obviously, all that football stuff is part of it, but that's not the only thing. And if you're out there tweeting at us and tweeting at JT Barrett and tweeting at us and then Urban Meyer and everybody else and saying, bench the bum, that's, that's fine. You can say that. if you're, you, you have that right. Absolutely. That's just not the realistic scenario that we're dealing with. It's more complicated than that. I think it comes down to making the um, – Emotional decision versus the business decision. You know, the emotional decision, again, is like I mentioned, he's t- the two are tied together. He, JT's been Urban's quarterback for four years. He was his first quarterback recruit, just like Tim Tebow was at Florida. Exactly. So this has to eat away at him a little bit, that the guy that he's been so tied to here for years is just not getting the job done. And meanwhile, the noise is growing. I think It's like I, I said, the door's open. The noise is growing outside. We had a poll – uh, earlier Saturday night saying who should start and far and wide everybody like JT Barrett was dead last J- Tate Martell was getting more fo- votes than JT although we know Martell's that not going to look, look for that on House Martell this week here's <laughs> the thing though by the way he, Urban Meyer doesn't care about that 
No. I mean, he doesn't care. I mean, he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. Obviously, really? he doesn't care what the fans think, and he shouldn't. He doesn't care what we think, and, and he shouldn't. Um, I, I'm curious to see how contentious it might be on Monday if he is defensive about it, or if he can it, w- will at least acknowledge that it's a reasonable discussion to have, or or if he would think that even questioning it proves that you don't understand the dynamics of a team and you don't have an appreciation for JT Barrett. I'm curious which way he goes on that, um, and it's fine either way. And here's the other thing, too. We didn't really get into this. We'll get into this more this week. Last year, I wrote a column. Three offensive coaches weren't getting it done. Tim Beck and Ed Warren are now gone. The only other guy that I mentioned in that column who's still here is Zach Smith, the receivers coach. We know there are a lot of you who think Zach Smith isn't doing a very good job. I'm one of them. I've said that a million times. Nobody's called out Zach Smith more than I have. The receivers um, are not progressing. Okay, They're not getting it done. Uh, when they talk about nine strong, the receiver position has, has been one that has not been strong for a while. Um, he's a good recruiter. Something's happening here. It's not getting it done. But if you want to talk about coaching, and Cardale Jones had a tweet, and Tim put up a story about it, sort of mentioning like, hey, you know, if, I, if people wouldn't like me because I'd be talking about the coaches. Who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Because if you're not talking about Zach Smith, and I know you are, if you're talking about anybody else, you're talking about Urban Meyer. So if you're talking about Urban Meyer, what are you talking about? He's 62 and 7. So, like, I get it. He's not infallible. But what are you talking about exactly? And we wrote about this two years ago. In Buck Dynasty, before the 2015 season, one of the keys to keeping this going is Urban Meyer hiring good assistant coaches that he can trust and put faith in. He hired Greg Schiano and Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day. How is that not good enough? Like, like that seems like it should be good enough, right? So what are you talking about and what would you possibly – like what can be done? Is one thing to say the blame has to go on the coaches, and I get that. He's, they're making millions of dollars. Okay, I'm all for that. Blame the guys making money, not the guys playing for free. But what do you want to do about it? What are you going to do? You just got rid of two offensive coaches. If you say get rid of Zach Smith and get somebody else in, okay, is that going to fix it? Is that it? If you're talking about something else, what are you talking about? You know what I think might happen next week? Urban takes over the play calling? No, the opposite of that. Kevin Wilson takes on more of the play calling, and Kevin Wilson leaves the coach's box and comes down to the field. No, you can't. He can't. You can't call from the sideline. They already failed with Warner on that. He can. He's done it. He did it for five years at Indiana, and he did it well. So, okay, that's, I mean, if we're talking about change, change needs to happen. That'd be a change. Let Ryan yeah. Day be the Ed eyes Warner, up Ed here. Ed Warner couldn't do it because Ed Warner had to coach five guys starting on the offensive line and coordinate the offense and call plays. Kevin Wilson is like a, a fake tight ends coach. He coaches no one, yeah. Yeah. Get him on the sideline because he's used to calling a game with the field. Lincoln Riley called a great game tonight from the sideline. He's the Oklahoma head coach, was the former offensive coordinator, still calling the plays. Called a much better game than Kevin Wilson. Did it from the sideline. I think there's a comfortability thing happening happening with Kevin Wilson. And he answered, when was that? It must have been during the week. Someone asked about calling the game from the box. And I thought his answer suggested to me that he didn't really like it all that much. I think he, he was I think he's a, a, a feel the vibe kind of guy on the sidelines and I would want him at his most comfortable when his job is as important as it is. There's something to be said I think for him taking ownership. I mean, you guys obviously saw Tim Beck for the last two seasons. The play calling was very similar to this. I mean, 
was he all I don't know if he was always a guy taking ownership, but Kevin Wilson, second game here, he's like, yeah, that's on me. I, I mean, coaches do that, though. That's not, I, I, that, Tim Beck wasn't the, the guy deciding which play to run. He was just the guy. Like, Did I yell that? Yeah, like he was the voice. The, being the voice and being the decider are two different things. I never thought Tim Beck was the decider. No, Ed Warner was the decider. I, I'm curious about Urban, where Urban fits in all this. Because, again, it's, if, if the problem is offense, Urban's an offensive coach. But I wrote this week that he's more a culture coach than anything else. He's not in the X's and O's as much. He likes the culture stuff. That's what he said. That's what I'm better at. I thought his answer about that was fascinating, by the way. My story was average. His answers about it were <laughs> fascinating. Go read it. Um, okay, so let me do this quick. This is a podcast ad. We're doing a bunch of podcasts at cleveland.com. We want to make sure that you guys are catching all of them. We swamped you with podcasts the other night. Um, we're trying to do things on assigned days, but here's the real deal. The Indians are going nuts. So you know what we're doing at cleveland.com? They're doing an Indians podcast every day. Joe Noga, Paul Hoynes are doing an Indians podcast after every game. You want to be part of that. After the Kyrie, uh, after the Isaiah Thomas news conference with Kobe Altman the other day, you know what happened? Chris Fedor and Joe Varden, two of the best Cavs writers around, got together and did a 30-minute podcast about that. How can you miss out on that? Our Browns people went nuts during preseason uh, camp, did a podcast every day during camp. They're going to be doing not one every day during the season, but going to have a big one on Mondays, I think. How can you miss out on what's going on with the Browns? You have to be listening to these podcasts. And I had a great Takes by the Lake on Friday. I interviewed Joe Posdansky, who's one of the best sports writers in America, grew up in Cleveland. We talked about growing up in Cleveland for him, the Indians, Browns angst. He broke down all these different – he writes for MLB.com now. He broke down all these guys on the Indians. How can you miss that? You can't miss it. So you are subscribed to Buckeye Talk on iTunes and all our podcast places. The Cleveland.com podcast feed is separate. You want to subscribe to that Cleveland.com feed. That gets you cabs. Indians, Browns, and Takes by the Lake. We're giving you great stuff. It's a supplement to all the great writing we have at cleveland.com, but make sure you are not missing out on the podcast revolution taking place at cleveland.com and, frankly, started by Buckeye Talk. Um, so that's going to do it. Tim Bielek, Bill Landis, Doug Maurice. please stick with us at cleveland.com. Follow us on Twitter at Tim, T-I-M-B-I-E-L-I-K, Tim Bielek, at Bill Landis 25 at Doug Maurice. We almost won an hour after a game. I've been nervous for the last 20 minutes. We're going to get kicked out of here. Yeah, that was like slamming around kind of. We didn't mean to do that. But you know what we love to do? Buckeye talk. Yammer. <laughs> Always yammer. It's like whenever there's like people like, uh, um, like suburban people get together where their kids are gathered, all they do is yammer. Oh, you cannot shut up suburbanites. Yammer, 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 yammer. I just want to get my kid and go home. But then I get on a podcast, I'm one of them. I'm a yammerer. All right. Thanks for listening, you guys. We'll catch you Wednesday where we'll still be talking about all this stuff. But for now, for Tim, for Bill, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.